you would remain standing, if you would turn now to the Gospel of Luke. We are making our way through Luke. We are in chapter 13. We are looking at verses 22 through 30. Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 22. Before we read, let us go to the Lord again in prayer, remembering that we need the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts right now. If, uh, if the Lord is not here working among us, we are here in vain. So let's pray for the Lord's blessing. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do speak to us. And even as we sung, let that truly be our prayer that you will speak now. Lord, I pray that you will open up our eyes to behold Christ all the more, to open up our deaf ears to hear of him crucified for sinners, to soften hardened hearts now that we might embrace Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem, And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. He who has ears, let him hear the word of God. Please be seated. In presenting this passage, a pastor friend of mine mentioned in his congregation, I thought he did a good job of creating a good picture about this passage. And he um, had his congregation, which I will have you do, imagine an endless corridor of doors. And every door in this endless corridor of doors represents any and all religions that you can find in the world. And now imagine you are standing in that hallway with all of these doors. Which one will you enter? Many people say it doesn't really matter which door you enter because they really all lead. They all lead to the same spot. They all lead uh, up the mountain, if you will, up to heaven as long as you are sincere, uh, as long as you try your best to to love your neighbor, uh, as we read in the law. All of these doors eventually lead to the same spot up to heaven. But is that true? What if other doors, in fact, do not take you to heaven, but lead you directly to hell? What if there is only one 
way, one door that leads to salvation? And what if that door, in fact, is small and narrow and can be easily overlooked? What if that door will not even stay open forever as well, but will one day be firmly shut? Wouldn't you like to know for sure what door to go into? Wouldn't you like to know which door leads to heaven and to the glorious presence of Christ and bliss and peace? Wouldn't you like to know? Well, Jesus tells us, so we're in luck. We're in providence, as we will talk tonight more about, but uh, Jesus tells us. And he does that in our text, and first we see the, the problem presented in verses 22 through 23. Then Jesus paints a picture for us in verses 24 and 27, and then the proposition to us in verses 28 through 30. So we have a problem, the picture, and then the proposition. First, we have the problem, and as you remember, Jesus is journeying towards Jerusalem, and that's important to remember in our text, what Jesus is doing, why he is here, even why we celebrated Christmas, what Jesus is doing. He is heading towards Jerusalem. His face is fixed. He is going to accomplish the mission that he was sent for, and nothing will deter him as he's going to the cross to die for sinners. And as he is making his way there, he is proclaiming the kingdom of God and giving signs that the kingdom has arrived, at least in part, because the king has arrived. If the blind are, are seen, the deaf are being made, here, the, uh, made to hear, the lame are walking, uh, women are, who are bent over in sin and destruction are being made upright, not only physically, but spiritually. As we just looked at last week. And in doing so, Jesus directs us here again to the kingdom of God. Uh, and I, he, he likened it last week to a seed and yeast, and it, it's growing. It, it, he, he's growing his people. He is growing his church, even if we are weak. If we look around, we are insignificant. But his word, which seems like foolishness, does not return void. It grows like a small seed, like yeast. And in our hearts, it grows. And there are some who are embracing Christ, but others, and even many, who are not. Many have heard Jesus, many have seen Jesus' miracles, but they are not only not embracing Jesus, they are hating Jesus, they are hating everything that He does and are seeking to kill Him. They think, though, that because they are related to Abraham, they have spiritual parents of some sort, uh, they are joined somehow to the prophets, that somehow God must be pleased with them. And in our text, we don't know who asked or even why they asked, but someone asks, Jesus, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Will those who are saved be few? Maybe he didn't quite hear Jesus' sermon recently about the mustard seed and the yeast. I mean, we do that when we listen to sermons. Sometimes we just hear part of it. And you just you heard this part of a, you know, a small mustard seed, and it's like, oh, well, is the kingdom small? Um, is that what he's trying? Like, will many people be saved at all, or just a small number? Will it be few? Um, how how many will be saved? Do you ever wonder that? Do you ever think about that? Man, how how many? Uh, you know, if you look around our, our church, how many in our church? How many how many are actually real Christians? How many people? How many people in my family? 
How many people will, will come and b- believe or not? Um, will as many think that the majority of humanity will make it to heaven or will there just be a remnant? The rabbis in Jesus' day uh, would agree that not all people are saved. Uh, there would be those who are damned. They believe that the Gentiles were outside God's kingdom. You know, they, they're not going to make it. But how does Jesus then answer this question? Does he give a percentage? Does he say uh, one-fourth? You know, if you remember the whole parable about sowing seeds and there were, you know, four, four uh, soils and only one of them produces fruit, so probably one-fourth, that'll get in. No, Jesus doesn't make a percentage. Uh, he doesn't give us a, a, a number. Uh, he doesn't do anything like that. In fact, Jesus doesn't answer the question here. Uh, he doesn't answer this man's question. Jesus has addressed this question, though, however, uh, in another sermon in uh, Matthew chapter 7 on the Sermon of the Mount. And here's what Jesus said to that kind of question. He said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So again, Jesus never gives a number or a percentage, but how many will be saved according to his Sermon on the Mount? Will it be many or will it be few? Few. Few will go to heaven, which means soberly that many will go to hell. The vast majority of people, in fact, that you will interact with in this world are going to hell. That's not me saying that. That's what Jesus is saying. Few will go to heaven. Many will not. And it's jarring. That's very jarring to us because we live in such a pluralistic culture with the assumption that most people, when they die, are going to make it. Or maybe over a period of time, they'll eventually make it. Somehow they will make it. That is what our culture likes to think. That is what many of us like to think, that many, most, will make it. But that is clearly not what the Scriptures say. The lie is... It doesn't matter what you believe. The lie, the lie is it, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, as long as you try to do good. That is a lie. That's not what the Scriptures say. Listen to what Ephesians 2 tells us. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. You and I, by nature, are children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Every man, woman, and child is a child of wrath by nature because by nature, as Ephesians tells us, we are in a state of rebellion and hostility towards God. That our fundamental problem in this world is not physical. Our fundamental problem is not that I can't hear very well or walk very well or have this pain or this disease. It is not 
the problem of the physical. The, our fundamental problem is our heart. It is sin. And every single miracle that Jesus is doing, whether it's making people see or walk, uh, 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 making people hear, it is all to point us to that spiritual reality that our hearts are crippled that our hearts are deaf, our hearts are spiritually blind, and we cannot see, we cannot embrace the kingdom of God because we are spiritually dead, and the Lord Jesus Christ must give us life. Our sins must be taken away. That's why Jesus came to earth, not to set an example not to do charitable work or social causes or set up hospitals and just heal people. They would have loved Jesus if that's all he came to do, but he came to set sinners free from their sin. And Jesus is on the way towards Jerusalem to do just that. Now, we discussed what Jesus doesn't say here, but he says somewhere else, but how does Jesus now answer this question? He doesn't tell us what we want, but he in fact tells us what we need. He doesn't say, well, that percentage, whatever number, he tells you what to do, to strive. Strive, verse 24, to enter through the narrow door. Stop wasting your time trying to figure out who is saved and who is not and how many and this many because you will never know that is God's prerogative. You will never know who is ultimately saved and, and who is not. But will you be saved? Will you be one of the few or will you be one of the many? The word strive here is the Greek word, uh, the Greek root where we get the word agonize from. And what Jesus is trying to tell us this morning is to make every effort right now to strive through, get through the narrow door that leads to salvation. This is, of course, Jesus is not saying that uh, we uh, use our own efforts to save us. Jesus is not somehow denying salvation by, by grace alone uh, and that the works contribute. No, but we have been saved to do good works, as Ephesians 2 tells us. But there is but one door, and Jesus is that door. He says it himself in John chapter 10, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And Jesus says something similar to that in John chapter 14, and you know this, John chapter 14, verse six. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. All other doors in that corridor, all other doors but one are thieves and robbers, and it leads to destruction. All other doors, all other religions are the wide gate, and they are all inviting you, and they are all calling you, they are all enticing you, even seducing you to come through the wide, easy gate, and many will go, but it all leads to destruction. The reason for this is that the only way that we can be saved is through Jesus. He is the only one who has done what we need that is, our sins to be washed away. He alone can offer the perfect atonement for our sin. What can wash away your sin? Nothing but doing good works. 
Nothing but trying harder. Nothing but loving my neighbor more. Nothing but coming to church more often. What can wash away your sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So strive, no matter what others might think. Run to Jesus Christ. Strive, even if you are the only one and everyone thinks that you are silly or a lunatic or whatever is going on, if there is anything that is hindering you from pursuing and running to Christ, leave it behind and strive and run towards the precious treasure of Jesus Christ because the door will soon shut. That's what Jesus says. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside, And knock on the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and taught in your streets. And you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. There's coming a time very soon. We do not know when. It could be this very hour. It could be this very day. We do not know when that narrow gate to heaven, that one door, it will be shut and there will be nothing, nothing, nothing you can do to enter it. This language again reminds us of that time in Genesis with Noah when the door on the ark was shut and it was too late and people perished. And so it will happen again, not only with, wa- not with water, but with fire. The door will shut and the throne of grace to which we all live under right now will be removed and the throne of judgment will be set in its place to judge all of mankind. Revelation 6 reminds us then, then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? Who can stand? I think this is, in fact, maybe one of the most terrifying things Jesus says in the scriptures. Jesus says here, there will be many who will have every expectation of getting in and they will not. They have mistaken gifts for grace. They will say, well, I did that and I did this. I I listened to so many sermons, Jesus. I taught Sunday school. I was a preacher. I was an ordained deacon or elder. You know, I, 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 I sang songs Fervently, I serve the church. But did you produce the one fruit that that fig tree was supposed to produce? If you remember, if you were here just a couple weeks ago, that is the fruit of repentance. Did you turn from your sin? And not only that, but did you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and receive him and rest upon him alone for your salvation? Or were you just busy doing stuff? Good job, good job teaching. Good job listening to those sermons. No, you must embrace Christ. 
You must put your faith in him. Luke 13, 5, just even in our chapter that we are in, if you remember, Jesus says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus shuts out all those that he does not know. And it's not that he doesn't know about them or who they are, but he doesn't have a saving relationship with them. Uh, He doesn't know you personally, savingly. You have come to church. You have sang songs. You have heard preaching. You have heard of the saving work of the cross and even of the resurrection of him him living, uh, now seated at the right hand of the heavenly father, that he became sin who knew no sin so that in him you might have the righteousness of God. Have you repented? Do you know Jesus by faith? Are you resting in him? Or do you simply know Jesus socially? Well, come this Lord's Day as the woman did last week and come this day to be healed. Come and be straightened and have life. The master of the house of heaven has opened the door right now and has invited you to come. If you refuse to enter, the door will close and you will hear the voice of Jesus say through a closed door, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, you workers of evil. And this is then the proposition. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first will be last. Jesus is saying that if you die this day and you haven't embraced Christ, these are the two responses that you will have. You will either wake up with uncontrollable sobbing and you will do it forever. I heard someone say, hell is truth known too late. You will one day come to know truth. You will one day come to know Christ as king, but will it be now or will it be too late? Or you will be gnashing of teeth. This is the picture of someone who is enraged, not if you're angry, you grit your teeth, but this is someone who is infuriated. They are gnashing their teeth together, shaking their fist at God. You are too mad at God that you can't cry, so you are gnashing your teeth. And this is, in fact, as Jesus says, where every door leads that is not Christ. You will watch guests arrive to feast in the house of God, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, people from the east and west, north and the south are all going to come and you're going to be left outside. The world thinks that now is a time for money and pleasure, rank, even family and friends. They ought to have first place in our lives. But Christ is saying, no, he must be first. He must sit on his throne and he will reign forever and ever and ever. And the world will then see what is first in their eyes. It will be last and shut out. And that which is seen in the world as last, as weak and low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, will be made first and they will enter. But to all who receive Jesus and who believe in his name, God has given you the right to become children of God and to enter into his presence. 
you will sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob for, and rest forever. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will sit at the table knowing that your warfare has ended and all of your sins have been pardoned. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be shut in with Christ and with all the angels and with all the saints in the kingdom and not sin, not sorrow, not death will ever be able able to enter. They will be eternally shut out while you are shut in with the Lord and Savior. So the question this morning is, not how many, but will you be saved? This is the master of the house calling to you now by his word. And he calls you to come. And for some of you this morning, this very well could be the last call that you hear from the master. This could be your last call to come through the narrow door, come to Christ. So I plead with you, come, come. Turn to Christ. This could be your last opportunity. Don't be shut out. Come. Come be saved. Come rest. Come through the narrow door, lest you face destruction. This is a terrifying text. This is not an easy text, but it is truth. This is God Himself speaking to us. Jesus Christ is the only way. He is the only door. Repent. Put your faith in him. Be saved. Come through the narrow door and find rest for your weak and weary soul. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would grant to us this day repentance and faith. Grant to us, O God, not to trust in ourselves in ceremonies or attendance or doing things in our religious heritages or parents, but to only trust in Jesus Christ and in his gospel. Help us to see our, our need. Help us to see our true spiritual state by nature as being children of wrath. Help us to see our need for the forgiveness of sins. And help us to see Jesus as our only hope, as a Savior for sinners, that we might find life in Him. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.